You're listening to the America for God podcast, the show that asks the question, where does God belong in the future of America? I'm your host, Daniel Gulo. Each week, we interview passionate individuals to understand their viewpoints on current events and concerns about faith. The show is available on Anchor, BitChute, Rumble, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and by visiting our website, www.americaforgod.com. Please consider donating to our mission by visiting our website, www.americaforgod.com. Episode 4, December 14th, 2020. Today on our show, we have Roman Roberts. Roman is very passionate about policy writing and quality of management, and he's also a veteran of the Army. Welcome to the show, Roman. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to do this. So why don't you let us know a little bit about yourself? Tell us where you are in life and how you got there and all the stories along the way that you'd like to share. Yeah, man. So like we were saying before we started, um, when you look at my LinkedIn profile, it all starts in foster care, right? So I grew up in foster care. Um, jumped around to some less than ideal homes is how I like to say it, uh, encountered some abuse, different things of that nature. Um, eventually got to a place where I wanted to get out of it, uh, get somewhere else. And so I joined the military, became an interrogator and did interrogations for six years in the army. And then for another two years as a contractor. So, a so a consultant working with special operations in, Afghanistan. I spent two years in Helmand helping them out there. And I mean, that was just really my initial military coming up kind of no identity. And that was where I was just doing the interrogation thing and just intelligence and deployment. And that was kind of my life. And the thing was, in none of that, I had really found my identity or anything. I left the foster care system to join the military to kind of find a way to, to find family, find connection, all of that. And I ended up finding some of that stuff, but didn't really find myself. I just kind of became what people wanted me to be. And so I got out. I started transitioning, working through that. Um, was a rocky transition. Uh, I actually ended up having some instances where I, I, I stepped out of my marriage, actually. I um, thought about committing suicide. There was just a lot of things I hadn't dealt with, my traumas and different things like that. And so I got on a journey of kind of finding myself, right? And that was where led me to journaling, reconnected me to God, uh, got me back into a place where I was doing um, the things I needed to do, being the person I needed to be, and most importantly, finding out who that person was, right? Like I found out that I was really passionate about helping people. That was always a theme inside of everything I was doing. Um, and I think a little bit because I wish there had been people to help me when I was a kid. So I think that kind of drove that as well. But I basically got to a place where I started helping people in business and in life as best I could. So I did business consulting, helping people you know, with policy writing, process management, quality management, how to get the most out of their, their organization, you know, leveraging the things I've learned from the military and also from different businesses I've worked in. And then I started a podcast here recently, Real Talk with Roman. Um, and it's basically an opportunity to just sit and talk with people and do the same thing, give more helpful advice, hear those stories, kind of where people learned and what they learned. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so people should go check out your pod podcast as well. Real Talk with Roman. So what was, what was one key learning that you took away from being an interrogator in the military? You know, for me, the biggest thing was communication. Communication is everywhere. Like we all talk and I actually do this in a lot of podcasts. A lot of people want to talk about, you know, how do you, how do you think like an interrogator? How do you do that? You really, we all do, you know, there's just little nuances and tricks and tools that interrogators learn, you know, kind of the psycho analyst and things like that, that help. 
But truthfully, it's all about having a conversation. Like, can you sit in front of somebody and make them really want to talk to you? Because that's all it is. And that's all any, any conversation is, right? Like our conversation right now is an exchange. You're asking me for, for information to help your listeners, right? Like it, it's almost like a currency exchange. And when you start viewing communication as a currency exchange, you would never just throw $10 just at something pointless, right? Like you, you don't want to waste money. So communication is time. You're giving your time to talk to somebody and bring value to them. So if you start thinking about communication in that way, you start really pre-planning. Okay, how do I have effective conversation? You know, you start really putting the effort into the conversation and looking the person in the eye, trying to think like them, trying to understand them. And I think that's really the thing that the army taught me is that communication is valuable. And when you value communication, you put the effort in on your end to learn, but you also put the effort in to make the person feel comfortable to talk to you so that you can get whatever it is that you want, whether it's you know, inside of a business, you're doing a negotiation or right now in a podcast, you want to get the most value for your listeners, right? Whatever that something is, when you first begin to value communication, then you can really start achieving. Looking at it from like a quid pro quo type of um, approach, I would imagine you really need to resonate with the people that you're speaking with, right? Because if you if you go in there and you're like, Rah! it's easier to fight against something if you're if it's clear that they're the enemy and you know they're contra or an adversarial type of approach. Whereas if somebody's sort of on your side mentally and so on and, and is is um, you know sort of like good cop, um, it's to to have a defense against that, right? Yeah. And that's the thing too, right? Is people always want to, to jump to like this, I don't know, like combative, right? Like everybody wants to be, and everybody thinks that interrogation is combative, right? And there's instances, right? And I always say you can ramp up, you can't ramp down. Like if I come in this and I'm yelling and I'm cursing and I'm all kinds of stuff, like that is now the tone for the conversation. Like I don't get to come down from that or it's very hard to, right? Like I've created a very challenging situation for myself. Whereas if I know that that's a tool that I might want to use, you know, I keep it in the background, but I start by trying to understand the person, talk to them. And it's kind of the same thing in business. Like maybe you do have a point where you have to yell at an employee for whatever reason, right? They mess something up or, or whatever. People think that, well, the interrogation, the person in interrogation is going to teach you how to immediately yell at somebody and get them to give you everything. That's just not realistic. <laughs> like, it's just not, you wouldn't do it in real life. And, and I always tell people who say, you know, well, what's it like to waterboard somebody or stuff? And I'm like, okay, well, think about it from your business perspective, right? Like walk up to an employee in your company and just punch them in the face. And then, then ask them a question and see what happens, right? Like, it's not going to be a great response. So it's, it really is about feeling the person out, understanding them. And just like you said, making it where it's not adversarial, like too often we, we come in with our biases and things like that. When you're pre-planning and when you're valuing conversation, you realize your biases don't matter and you start pulling them out so you can have an effective conversation. So mental note, don't start at 11. You can get to 11, but don't start at 11, please. So what are some other experiences you had growing up that you would care to share lessons that you've learned and so on? One of the big things I say is I always learned what to do by watching people who did what I never wanted to do, right? Like I've, I've seen bad parenting. I've seen all of that. And I like to think that I'm a fairly good parent. <laughs> um, I have people who tell me that I am and, you know, it's, I don't know, parenting's funny, right? It's kind of one of those things where you're investing in it and the full result of it, you won't see for, like, you know, years down the road. So um, you, you do these things now hoping they pay off, but 
definitely my son is a lot further along than I was as a kid. And I think that a big part of that is looking at the people who were in my life that weren't the kind of people that I wanted to be. Like, I didn't grow up with great parenting figures, right? Like, there was none of that. I joined the military and I had people who became like fathers to me and, and you know, role models and things of that nature. But at the end of the day, they were still very different. I mean, one of the guys, I still look up to him today. He's a great friend. We call, we talk all the time. And one of the phrases he used to tell me all the time was happy wife, happy life. And people say that phrase all the time. And I'm actually very anti that phrase. It's, it's not happy wife, happy life. It's happy you and happy wife makes for a happy life, right? And so that was kind of the thing that I was missing uh, when I first started my relationship and transitioned out of the military. I didn't realize that, you know, I had to deal with my own issues and have my own health to then show up best in my relationship for my wife. But it's actually really logical, right? Like in the military, they teach you, you know, if you're injured, you have to fix your injury before you can fix someone else's when you're on a plane, put on your mask, then put on someone else's mask, right? Like we've heard the theme, but for some reason inside of relationships, we just think like, okay, I'm just going to give everything to this person and that's going to make it all work out. Well, that's not true. And vice versa for them too, right? Like if they're depending on you to be their everything, whether it's like an emotional support or whatever it is, you know, if you're depending on that sole person to be that, they're always going to let you down, right? Like people, people are always going to fail to some degree. And I think I, I spent so long thinking being the best meant never failing. And now I've kind of gotten to a place where the reason I am who I am now and I'm good at the things I am now is because I messed it up countless times before that. So, so that's kind of a big uh, re recurring theme. And a thing that I like to talk about a lot with, with different people, especially, you know, when I go to foster care homes and I talk to the kids in foster care, cause I grew up in foster care and these kids, you know, they have all these people that come in to do motivational speaking and I'm not detracting from that at all. Right. Like I'm not detracting from celebrities or big names coming in and speaking to these children because they, they have role models the same as anyone else, right? There's not a lot of people from the foster care system, like beating down the door to go back and talk to the kids, the, you know, the younger version of themselves, because for some people they get out of it and they're just happy to be done with it. And again, not everyone, like, I don't want to paint this broad brush and say that it's every single person because that's not true. But for the majority of people, once, once you're out of the system, you, you kind of move past it. And it was for me, like for a long time, you know, I actually would grow up in school as I was moving places. I would never tell people that I was a foster kid because I was afraid of it. I joined the military for the first like two years. I didn't tell anybody that I grew up in foster care. Right. Then I started owning it and being really proud of it. And like, yeah, this is who I am. This is what I am like to deal with it. You know, you know, I enjoyed going back there and talking to them because it got to be someone from the perspective of them. Like I could actually sit there and say, I know what it's like to be you. And actually know what it's like, right? Because I think I think the big thing now is that people say, you know, I completely know how it feels to do that. Well, do you really? Like, did you really go through that? Have you? Like, we've we've gotten into this culture where, you know, a, a new thing comes up and everyone all of a sudden has experienced that, right? Like, it, it's now this thing. For me, it was, I never wanted to talk about the traumas that I went through. I never wanted to talk about the things that I wanted to do. And people, and it's funny because some of the people that are mentors to me now, they always say like, you know, remember when you didn't want to talk about this or you didn't want to go speak to that place or do this and my wife too. And I'm like, yeah, you know, and, and there's days where I'm still like, yeah, I kind of wish I didn't, but there's also, because it's a lot of work, it's a lot of emotional, you know, like I'm constantly dealing with those emotions still to this day. And it's good for me. It helps my health, but also it's, it's something that that's always fresh. Like I don't get to hide behind the back, the just bottle it up and push it down anymore. Right. And 
So I think for people, like being open and being honest about what you you went through is good. And it the, it's funny because I was just talking to a guest on my podcast about this. Inside the military, we don't credit people for unless their experience is like special operations or combat or all these different things, right? Like we have these criteria, right? Like, oh, you were just a cook. Well, you were a piece of shit. Oh, you were this. Well, that's not cool. You know, like there's just these levels of cool because society says it's cool, right? And truthfully, um, everyone's cool. Everyone's got their own story to tell. And I know that sounds like super cheesy, but but that's really the truth of it, right? Like it doesn't matter if your story is you grew up wanting to be a chef and you burned like a bunch of meals and burned your hand. And, you know, like that's the craziest trauma you went through. For somebody that's going to resonate. Like I'm not going to resonate to the cooking crowd. Like that's not my crowd. You know what I mean? Like, and, and I think people get so caught up in, well, I don't think I'm cool enough. Well, I don't think I've had enough this or enough that. Well, it doesn't matter what you have or hadn't had. Just tell what you have had, you know, just don't focus on what you don't just focus on what you do. And so for me, um, getting to tell those foster kids, like, it's okay to own that you messed up because there's a lot of adults right now who aren't even owning it. You know, there's, there's a lot of adults who, you know, have never moved in their entire life. And most foster kids move eight times in their time in the system, right? Like that's considered one of the most traumatic experiences you can go through moving. Like it's in like the top three. So kids in their formative years, right? So let's just go with males. So focus on me, right? The male brain doesn't fully develop until the age of 25. Okay. So prior to my brain fully developing, even prepubescent, I had already gone through some of the most traumatic experiences you would ever go through. And out of the top three, I'd actually gone through two out of the three. When you put it that way, like foster kids do have a story to tell, no matter how small they think their story is or insignificant it is, they've experienced more trauma before they hit their puberty years, which we all know is going to have its own set of traumas and its own set of dealings that you have to go through. Right. And then like let's just staying with the male, right? 25 years old. So then I joined the military and before I've even reached full mental maturity, I've deployed, right? So deployed twice at this point. So when you put it that way, like you're, you're really, you do have a lot and your story's going to grow and evolve and you're going to go through these traumas and it's okay. And you're going to mess things up and you're going to break things and you're going to do things wrong. And guess what? Like that's, you, you don't have a testimony without a test, right? You don't have a story, um, without, you know, bad chapters, right? Like if you look at what every movie is made of, right? Like they have this like initial where it's, you know, you, you highlight these characters and you start building the connection to them. And then all of a sudden, like you see the story plummet, like something bad happens. So any movie that's your favorite movie, like if you go through that, you'll see that, you'll see that drop. And you're always looking for the drop and you're going like, oh, when's, when's the bad thing? You know, it's going to get bad, right? Like, so you're like, what's, what bad thing's going to happen? And then it happens. And then you see that person come up through it. Well, we enjoy those movies also because that's a true reflection of what life is. The only difference is on life, it happens in multiple spasms very quickly, right? So we, we see it a lot more times than what just a two hour spiel of a story shows us. We do recognize that and appreciate that. And so I think that when people are trying to determine if they want to even tell their story or whatever it is, the answer is yes. Like, like if you did that little, little chart thing where it's like, do you have a story? Should you tell it? Like, yes, you know, no, no, no. Yes. Like it's always going to go to yes. Like the answer is always going to go there. And, and I think that's the big problem, right? Like people have social media and all of this now, but nobody's telling their story. 
It's difficult because, you know, everybody, it's like, here's me and 141 characters, right? And how do you get a real sense of someone from such a short description? And because our attention spans are are really all over the place nowadays, people feel the need to like outdo everyone else, right? So you look at things like TikTok and people are getting more and more crazy and nutty and, and all that kind of stuff. Everyone wants to be the next Miley Bieber or Justin Smile, whatever, you know. Right. Like they're telling you this 30 second reel or this TikTok highlight or this whatever, right? And that's not really the real them. And so then these people start following them and they start trying to emulate them. And again, I'm talking to myself, right? Because when I first got out of the military, the guy I actually interviewed last week, he was one of the veterans that I was watching when I got out. And as him and I were talking, he was like, yeah, man, you know, like we weren't setting the right image to the community because they thought that this was everyday real for us. And it wasn't, it was a split second marketing scheme in time. Right. And I think that that's the biggest thing is like, people need to start being authentic. And that's what the intent behind real talk was. That's what the intent with me helping in businesses are like, show up, be your real authentic self. Like if your goal is to, as a business, just, Hey, I want to build the best skateboard that I can. Okay. That's fine. Like maybe you don't become a million dollar company. Maybe you just build the skate best skateboard for the state of Texas, right? Like that's perfectly fine, but we've become so conditioned that we have to want more and have to achieve more. And I'm not bashing the, the achiever mentality or the goal setting mentality or anything like that. I'm just also saying like, don't lose sight of the real you in trying to do those things. And I think too often that's what happens to people across all platforms, whether it's telling your story, whether it's accepting the traumas that you've been through, you know, nobody will ever love me because I was abused. Well, you know, when you think like that, yes. Like, but when you stop thinking like that and you say, you know what, I love myself, I love other people and I'm going to show my best self to the people that I'm around that gives them a chance, you know, like, and yes, there's always going to be people who judge you and go, Oh yeah. Like, but they're going to judge you either way. Right. Whether you tell them or don't tell them, they're going to judge you. And I think for me, that was the real realization, right? Like, especially in finding my identity, because I'd always been a people pleaser and a runner and all these different things, because growing up in foster care, you chameleon, you try to become what that family wants. So they don't get rid of you, right? Because you don't like you have security, you're in a house, unless it's a bad house, then you're like, all right, like, let's get out of here, you know, and so then you start kind of acting out. But when, when the conditions are good, you want them to stay because that's good. Like that's comfortable. And as a child, if that's all your condition, like it becomes like a Pavlovian response, right? So when conditions are good, you start doing everything you can to never upset that balance. But the truth is in real life, like the balance is always upset because there is no such thing as balance in life, right? <laughs> we, we, we spend so long trying to chase it when truth be told, like some days you're going to pull 10, 15 hour days and other days you're going to pull like a two hour day where you really only get two hours of work done. Right. Like that, that's just the truth. Everyone knows it. No one wants to admit, admit to it. And the same thing is true in relationships. The same thing is true in everything else. And that's kind of where that communication and currency comes back in. Right. Because when you start viewing things in that way, you put currency in the bank for the days when you have to really spend it. Right. It's the same thing with relationships. You put time in that relationship because there's going to be a time where you have to pull from that and you can't give that same amount of time, right? Like all of those things exist. And I think the problem is no one talks about that, right? Like everyone talks about what, what you see on Instagram or this, you know, had this amazing date night or, or whatever else, right? Like insert whatever it topic. But the point being is that there's a lot more to it and there's a lot of other pieces 
that I think we, we just haven't done a great job of telling. And that's, that's across the board, right? Whether you're a podcaster or even if you don't think you have any influence, if people are following you, <laughs> you have influence, right? So what you're telling has an importance because people see you as valuable enough to like and follow you, to, to subscribe to your content, to see it, to, to let you be something that they scroll through on their page. So when you have that kind of responsibility, whether it's one person or 1 million people, it, it's kind of a big responsibility. I grew up in the 70s and uh, 80s. And, um, you know, back then it would have been like watching a horror film every 30 seconds, you know, and your cortisol levels are super high. You know, we're unhealthy. We're sitting at um, terminals all day long or, you know, we have that in front of us all day long. It's like watching the five o'clock news 24 seven, right? So we weren't designed to handle that level of stress. And, and like you said, shock, right? At the same time, um, you know, we've kind of become reliant and dependent upon social media as our, our vehicle of communication with each other, right? Especially since COVID has been around the last six plus months, you know, that, that's, that's how we communicate. That's how we reach out and touch each other and so on. I'm with you, man. I, so it's funny because I'm kind of coming back onto social media and doing it. I've been doing it for a little over a year now, right? Kind of step again, figuring out and playing with it. And I've been like anti TikTok and anti all of that. Um, and anti is probably not the right approach to take, right? Like I get that it has a good social media strategy and a place and things like that. I get, but to your point, I just don't really like the fact that it's this 30 second blurb or this 15 second blurb. And it's supposed to be like an instant shock reaction, right? So like if you do interrogate, so linking it back to interrogation conversation, right? Like Shock action has a value, but you know, from doing like the research on it and things like that, that it creates a dependency and that dependency can be good or bad, right? Like in interrogation, like you create that shock therapy so a per or a, that shock moment. So a person will then say, okay, I need this person, right? Whether it's the shock of capture, you know, like you roll up on an objective and the door's been busted in and you go to this person and you're trying to like bring them down in that moment, right? they then become attached to you because you're the person who helped bring them down, right? Like you're creating an attachment. So it's kind of the same thing, but with TikTok, there's just, and with social media, there's just so many different shocks happening, right? Like it's almost like we're overloading our brain and frying our brains. Like, and I know that sounds so cheesy and so like tinfoil hat-ish, but the truth of the matter is, is that it really does to a certain degree. Why is anxiety going up? Why is depression going up? Why, why, why are kids being diagnosed with ADHD much earlier now than they were before, right? Well, look at, look at the way that social media has evolved. Look at the fact that there's now an app where every 30 seconds, a new bigger hit is coming. Like when you have that level, like those are some super high levels. I don't think any of us could relate to that in our childhood, like nothing compared in our childhoods to what that is now for them. And even as adults, we know that we can't handle the steady input of it, right? Like we have to pull ourselves back from it. But for these kids, like they want to be on it. We think that these are all bad words, right? Like stress and shock. And they are, right? Like they, they have a place that they can be used for good and they have a place where they can be used for bad, right? The same way as a hammer, right? A hammer can put a nail in a wall but you can also use it to commit a murder. It, it's versatile. And that doesn't make the hammer any less a hammer or make it good when it's being used in the right way, right? So there's a lot of great movements that can come up and there's people you know, who are starting to highlight like social anxiety and things like that inside of TikTok. But it's almost like the, the one pebble trying to hold back a, a rushing stream, right? I agree with you. 
It's unfortunate that some of these platforms are taking the extreme the extreme steps to censoring people, especially since it's a, an election year, right? What are, what are your thoughts on, have you experienced much censorship on the, the various different social media platforms? So I, not a lot of censorship. I got my first like warning email the other day. Um, so a little extra piece about me. So we're very holistic, natural living, my wife and I. So we, so I grew up in the army, right? So I grew up in foster care and in the army. So I've had every shot known to man, right? <laughs> like all of them. Um, uh, my wife, kind of the same thing, right? Her family was first generation immigrated, immigrated in kind of thing. So, you know, same kind of thing, right? This is good for you. This is going to help you. And we then had our son and we took him to the doctor and he went in for a round of shots and then he started seizing. Nobody could explain what it was, right? Like, and then, so after after you get that first phase where nobody can explain to you what it is, then you have this weird things where doctors say like, oh yeah, it's just normal, right? So, so at first nobody knew what it was, right? Then all of a sudden they're like, oh yeah, that's just normal. That's just natural. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever at all, right? So uh, we went and looked into it and things like that. And so we ex-vaccine, I guess is the best way to say it. So we moved away from vaccinations and because that was the only thing, like I said, I have a degree in analytics. My focus is on business analytics, helping businesses, things like that. So uh, the other day I posted something about that and I got like my first little warning email. <laughs> so I, I, it was almost like being sent to the principal's office, I guess. <laughs> they were like, hey, um, you know, pay attention that your, your posts meet our community guidelines things like that. And I'm like, I was just highlighting something from an episode that I talked about. Like, I, I was kind of shocked, right? Because I don't consider myself like a, a far right or, you know, far left or anything. I'm, I'm definitely conservative, but I don't consider myself like a far right conservative. And so I was like, what are you what? Like, there's people saying way crazier things than me. And you like took time to highlight me. Um, so I think there's a little bit of bias in the system. Um, I don't, fully know how the algorithm does that but obviously right like if you're posting content and you're doing like podcasts or different things like that right you're now a vehicle that people turn to so I think that maybe there is I'd be curious to see right kind of the same way as how like doctors aren't liable for vaccines and things like that like I'd definitely be curious to see like what drives them to send that email right because when I didn't have a podcast, nobody was sending me emails about my content, right? Like, you know, nobody was, and I'd been on LinkedIn for a long time before that. Like I wasn't getting any content or moderation or any emails or anything like that. So I definitely, I'd be curious to see like, you know, does it go more towards people who post more times, right? Like, is it a frequency thing? Because obviously you have more reach that way. Is it based on like, once you hit a certain threshold, like, is there a box, right? Like, at, at a thousand followers, you're not a, you're not a threat, but at a thousand and one you are right. Like what's, what's the categories, you know, um, which is funny because the numbers are kind of arbitrary, right? Like it's more the commitment of the following base. I agree with you. It would be interesting to see what the algorithms are and, and what the analysts are trained to do or not do when they're, um, flagging posts and suspending people and, and so on. Because I myself have been suspended numerous times on LinkedIn, even in just the last two years. I know numerous other people that have also been suspended on LinkedIn and they're fellow conservatives. So the only thing I have is my anecdotal data to say, you know, they're suspending conservatives. But I, I would imagine they're probably suspending some extreme, what, what they consider to be extreme opinions on the other side as well. As I said, you know, we, we all rely on these platforms to talk to each other and so on. So it's becoming more of a, 
you know, like it's a, it's almost like a utility, right? You can't really stop people from talking on phones, no matter which company is running the phone lines and the devices and so on with the Communications Decency Act and, um, you know, Executive Order 13-925, preventing online censorship and so on. That's going to come into play, I think, when Trump is reelected, which I believe he will be, you know, maybe, maybe he won't, I don't know. But if and when he's reelected, that's going to become a, a, a mainstay, I think, in, in the coming year. There's going to be some significant case, I would imagine, that goes to the Supreme Court. I, I definitely would be curious to kind of know some of it. So I, I'm kind of, I'm actually very anti um, the whole censorship thing. And my wife experiences a lot, a lot more than I do because she's very vocal about uh, a lot of things that she is pro and against, right? And anytime I think you take those hard stances, then all of a sudden people um, start taking notice, right? And you have like the trolls that come on the comments, but it's, that's one thing, right? Like I'm fine with trolls coming on the content comments. I'm, I don't necessarily know how I feel about this whole censorship thing. I, I don't like it because it, it reminds me of book burning and things like that. Because like I said, in another podcast, um, that phrase leaders or readers, that's like antiquated, right? Like, yes, reading is a mechanism, but leaders are learners, right? So people should be learning, right? And how are people learning now? More people are consuming podcasts, more people are looking YouTube, right? Like all these different places. So if we start censoring this, like, because there's so much back to that flow of information, right? So because there's so many things coming out, nobody feels it when, you know, you get censored in or I get censored, right? They don't feel it because they have a, a thousand other pages that they follow that are posting five, 10 times a day, right? So they don't see it. But what the impact of that is, is that's a single person being censored to post their views and standpoints on something, which is essentially the equivalent of burning books, right? Like it's, it's a very similar equivalent. And I think people go, no, it's not. It's, it's totally different. But when you really look at like the basis behind it, right? Like why was George Orwell, you know, HG Wells, why were all these people on list, you know, as banned books and things like that? It, it wasn't because they, they said something that other people weren't saying. It was because they said it in a platform where people listen. Right. So I'm, I'm very curious. I, I don't know. I'd like to see some more research on how the censorship is going and who it's primarily targeting. Because I think you would find that it's people who are very vocal, right? And that makes it even worse to me. Yeah. And even, you know, Steve Wozniak has been very vocal and written, you know, papers and articles and gone on rants about how he's a pretty liberal guy, you know, but he's, he's of the mindset that, you know, it should be equal. Everybody should have a voice and there should be no censorship and so on, um, which I think is great. You know, I, I agree. I, I think if you're liberal or libertarian, you should have a platform to speak just as much as we, you know, I do. Right. So I'm, I'm pretty much zero censorship. And there are a couple of uh, platforms out there that have that, you know, you, you can say literally anything you want, as long as it's not illegal. Um, and then you get into some problems. Like if you if you post child porn or something like that, then you're going to have the authorities coming to you or trying to do drug deals or something online, then that's going to come back to bite you as well. But even hate, spe quote unquote, hate speech. I mean, I, I should be able to express an opinion. If, if that's my opinion, I have to deal with the consequences of that opinion but you know society shouldn't be telling me i can't have that opinion yeah and i agree right because because i think everyone can agree you know you watch these tech giants come up and do their kind of like supreme court conversations right and they and they have them and you're like well that was a joke they didn't say anything right whether you're democrat republican wherever you liber libertarian wherever you stand on the poll like 
it, you're like, well, they didn't answer a single question, right? Like they, they didn't say anything. And, and I think that's across the board because I have a lot of friends who are conservative, just like I have a lot of friends who are liberal and some who are very libertarian, right? So I think all of these together, when, when everyone starts kind of seeing a common theme that, hey, wait a minute, this is off, right? Um, I think it sparks something. Now, I do agree that I think certain parties are being pushed more so. And I think I think it's kind of funny, right? Because we always focus on the Republican Democratic Party, but also like the Libertarian Party has kind of been censored for years, right? And nobody's said anything because they, they, I mean, they, they just now have been fighting to kind of get into like debates and stuff. But you also see that those posts, people get censored when they post things like that, right? So I have friends of mine who have been advocating like, oh, hey, you know, Trump caught COVID. So maybe we let Joe Jorgensen jump up on the stage, right? And, and when you see that, you know, a part of you goes, well, yeah, that's logical, right? Isn't she running, right? Like, whether you're going to vote for her or not, like, she should probably have the same space to answer the questions, the same as anyone else. Um, so it, it's kind of funny, because it leads to a lot more uh, slippery slopes, I guess you could say, because you start diving into, well, wait a minute, like, there is censorship happening just in our very election process, right? Like, I wonder if there's people who don't even know that there is a libertarian party, right? Like, like things like that kind of make you kind of pause and wonder. And so it's just, it, it's, it's interesting how the censorship has turned and it used to not be a thing, right? Like, I mean, I remember when MySpace first came out, like nobody was thinking about the internet ever censoring what you were saying. Like that wasn't something that was at the forefront of everyone's mind. We just saw this amazing platform where all of a sudden everyone could communicate no matter where, no matter when, right? And I think we all kind of got naive and thought like, oh, this will be perfect forever. And we got kind of dumb and happy on the concept of that. And now here we are uh, years later going, oh, crap. It, it definitely is an hasn't had an impact on our society. And um, I mean, when it comes to when it comes to speech again, you know, like somebody's spouting off anti-Semitism and, and racial talk. I, I'm going to think this person's repugnant. They're morally reprehensible. Um, but I'm not going to go to like the platform and say, you need to silence this person or whatever. The platform gives me opportunities like blocking, you know, block the person, disconnect from the person, hide their post, uh, block the post, delete the post whatever. There's all kinds of different mechanisms for people to take accountability and responsibility for their own censorship without censoring the entire platform. Because then who gets to decide what is morally reprehensible and so on? Because some people would say, you know, as Christians, we're, we're reprehensible or repugnant, right? Yeah, I definitely get that point, especially being like the ex-vaccine kind of thing, right? Because the, the vaccinated community, the anti-vaccine community and the ex-vax community is a very polarized community, right? Because you know, people have varying stances, right? Like you're, you're endangering other children by not vaccinating, just like they feel, you know, you're harming other children by vaccinating, right? Like shedding and things of that nature. So both groups have their, their stance on it. And I think back to that learning point, right? Like both sides have to be able to do that. If you say, I don't want to hear that because that person's anti, well, then you never grow, you never evolve, right? Like, I'm not saying that I want everyone to follow me and you know, be against vaccinations, I, I think they should, right? Like personal opinion, I think there's a benefit to it, right? Focus more on holistic health, natural medicines, things like that. You'd be surprised how much your medical bill drops can tell you from personal experience, right? Like, but, but at the end of the day, that's not my place to make you do that. But I should at least have the platform just like everyone else to, to put that information out there to help somebody and give them the opportunity to choose whether they want to or not. Because at the end of the day, there's always going to be people who are like, no matter what evidence you put my way, the government is the best thing ever. I'm never going to distrust them. 
or, you know, the, or they're going to be the other side, right? The government is horrible and I'm never going to trust them, right? Like there's always going to be people, no matter what evidence you put out that are going to be on those extreme poles. But at the end of the day, I think majority of people fall more into that middle. But as you censor information, you then start guiding them towards another side and they think they're middle, right? Like these people still feel that they're in the middle, but you've eliminated a whole aspect. Like you've taken a whole side of the board away. So now in their mind, they're still middle and open-minded and hear everything, but because they've only heard one side, they, they are truly more like liberal or extremist or conservative or whatever, right? Depending on what piece you pull out of the pie. So I, I think that's long-term the biggest scare, especially because, you know, when you think about COVID, right, the impact it's had on our kids, the change in learning, like we won't see the full impact of what this has been for probably another two to three generations, right? Because last summer, my son would go to the park and he could play with any kid, right? This summer, he went to the park and he didn't have a mask on and there were kids pushing him back, right? Like, don't get near me, right? You know, things like that. And everyone's got the right to do whatever makes them feel safe, right? Like, I'm not going to tell anybody, like, whatever. But the problem is, is that we've now conditioned our children to see someone without a mask as a threat or vice versa, right? Someone with a mask is a threat, right? Because they don't see that wearing a mask is bad or they don't wear a mask and they don't see that wearing a mask is good, right? Like whatever, whatever stance of the pole you're on, it, it creates this, we've created this conflict, right? Back to that interrogation thing. We've created a zone of conflict. And now again, prepubescent kids still learning, pre, still developing, have now been exposed to this extreme fear trauma, right? Like I'm not downplaying that this was like an event, things happened, people were injured, a pandemic, all of that. Like I'm not downplaying that, but now we've created kind of a societal norm. If you don't wear a mask, don't get around me. Or me and my friends don't wear a mask and you do, so you're the weird one, stay back, right? Like we've now created this as a norm for our children and that's dangerous. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's crazy. Like, look at California right now, right? Like, all the people who can't go to church and worship and things like that, but but rioters can still go and, and riot and protest, right? Like, depending on what you're doing. So, if you just label it as a protest, are you allowed to do it then, right? Like, it, it's speech is tricky, right? Like, I I definitely would not want to be a politician trying to sort through it in the constitution of it and all like that. Like, at the end of the day, it is like, okay, you have the right to say, right? But we also, you know, until your rights infringe upon other people's, right? At what level? does speech infringe, right? Like that's been a, cases have debated that for decades, right? So it's definitely a complicated one, but I do, I do feel that all sides are starting to kind of feel the pressure of it, right? Because for the protesters, your protest has been diminished, right? Because the Christians are saying, well, wait a minute, like we don't get to do this, but you do, like what makes yours more important than ours, right? So then like that movement, so now all of a sudden the Christians who are a part of that start to kind of pull out. So you've created kind of this, this pool scenario and you've diluted um, all sides of it. So, and I think everyone's starting to see that inside of their respective groups. And as they see that, they're starting to become concerned, right? Whether you say they're concerned from a political point of view because they're going to lose voters or whatever, or they're concerned from a salvation point of view because they're going to learn people, right? What, whatever stance there, there, there is, there is a real impact and people are feeling it across the board like it's not just one group now but you definitely like, like there's, there's always someone a little bit more right there's never an even 50 50 there's always something a little bit more than the other so I, I think everyone feels it but yeah I definitely you see it a lot with the Christians now in the churches and things like that like 
California, I mean, just California seems pretty crazy in general. Um, I used to always joke about that, but I'm like, man, there's a lot of people moving out of California. I mean, Joe Rogan left California to come to Texas, right? Like basically bashed California as he was walking out the door, you know, um, because they, they just aren't dealing with the systems. They aren't dealing with the issues. They're infringing upon all these different rights of people, whether, I mean, they just the other day overturned the 30 round magazine rule that they had, right? Like you couldn't have more than 30 or you couldn't have more than 10 rounds or something, something crazy. Right. And now, now they're like, well, you wait, you can't tell people that they can't have that. So, so we're seeing kind of this stuff overturned as people are speaking out about it, but then on the reverse, you see people being censored on what they speak about. So it's like, well, is this kind of like a circular event? Like, are we going to keep going around in the same circle? Talk a little bit about your Christian background and what inspires you and so on. Yeah, man. So I grew up in um, Church of Christ. Like I was very, um, I call it academic Christian. Like I knew what the, what the rules were, quote unquote, to get to heaven. And those were kind of what I followed. Like if you were to give me a test, I could answer all the questions, right? Like I knew it. Um, and I still do, right? Like, and I enjoy uh, hermeneutics and things like that. But um, that was my young, naive kind of way of looking at the Bible. And now uh, with my wife and everything we've gone through, right? The affair and through, um, you know, me trying to find my identity and through the different traumas, it took having a relationship with God. Like it wasn't a, like, let me just do what I need to do to not go to hell. Like, okay, I did this and did that. Right. Like, like those little, like when you view it that way, it's always kind of that shock fear base, right. Kind of that theme we were talking about earlier, but whereas you view it as a relationship. And if you actually look at like the Bible and you look at like the translations, when Jesus is talking to God and things like that, and you look at other people's verbiage for God in the old Testament, it's a very, like the best way I can say it is like a slang term, right? It's like my three-year-old coming up to me and saying daddy or dada, right? Like it's, it's that level of connection. That's constantly a, a theme inside of the Bible. So for me, the biggest thing was moving away from that, just by the book to building a relationship with God. And it actually changed everything. I mean, we went through a bout of unemployment for a year, um, but we had a relationship with God. Right. And it's funny, I was actually, I was just talking about this on another podcast because we celebrated Thanksgiving that year with like, I think maybe like a hundred dollars in our bank account. And um, we had like three turkey, like the largest Thanksgiving feast we'd ever had. Most people packed in our house, like leftovers for days, gave leftovers to people, went out and were actually giving leftovers to people like in the block, right? Like all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, but, but like, and nobody would have thought behind closed doors that her and I had no job, only a hundred dollars. Right. So like people say, oh, like I've never seen miracles and stuff like that. Look, call it what you will. I didn't have any money, but somehow everyone, every, every space in my fridge was packed with food. Right. And I wasn't buying food. So, you know, to me, that's kind of the definition of, uh, of America. You didn't have something and something appeared, right. Something outside of your control occurred. And so um, that's definitely kind of where my relationship has gone more into a, a relationship. And I think that's my biggest encouragement, right? Like I'm not going to bash whatever religion you are, whether you're church of Christ or Baptist or Methodist or, you know, non-denominational, whatever, right? Like the, the relationship is the important part. Like we get so caught up in arguing about, should there be instruments? Should there not be instruments? Should we do this? Should we do that? That we forget that like Jesus was with lepers and whores and tax collectors, right? Like the, the quote unquote scum of the earth, right? Like, you know, and so we, we kind of debate over these little things. And I think that 
kind of dilutes from what Christianity can and should be. And that's ultimately why people have a stance to kind of say, well, I don't want to go to church because all those Christians are crappy people. Well, yeah, like, but, but also Christian, like people are going to be crap. People fail you no matter what, right? Like we're, we're all hypocrites to some level and degree, and we're all going to make mistakes, right? None of us are perfect. So I think that um, Christian, but Christianity does a really bad job of portraying to people that it's okay to not be perfect for some reason, like, and not across the board again, broad strokes, right? But for the most part, like if you ask a person why they don't want to go to church it's because they had a bad experience. And if you asked me years ago, why I didn't want to go to church, it was because the family that adopted me was Christian, but wasn't, you know, like all these different things, the Christians that I were around wasn't, weren't good Christians, right? Like everyone had their own little things. And so for me, um, seeing all of that made me think, well, Christians are just hypocrites and, you know, this is all a joke. And I just kind of realized like, okay, yeah, people are always going to be crappy, but God's not. So, and, and that's kind of how my wife and I built our relationship. And that's the relationship we're trying to build with our son. And whether you consider it fake or mythological or whatever, I don't know. I put my son toe to toe against anyone else. I mean, the teachers in his school are like, your son goes up to every person and says hi to them. He genuinely empathizes with them. And I attribute a lot of that to the, to the way that we've instilled Christianity in our home and brought it up in our home. And, you know, we, we, we try to portray this loving uh, a family and, you know, be real about our mistakes, but also, you know, be loving and show love and, and be that light to the world kind of thing, right? The Constitution was built on Christianity, right? Like, it wasn't perfect, right? We can sit here and say, like, well, they allowed slavery and stuff like that. Like, nobody said that the system was perfect, right? Nobody said that these things that people are building are perfect but they built them with a standpoint of Christianity inside of it. And I think that when you build things with God, you can build anything. When you start trying to build things separately is kind of when it gets a little crazy. And that's just from my own personal life. Sure. Yeah. And that, that moral grounding and fabric and framework, you know, is grounded in altruistic principles of, of Judeo-Christian beliefs and so on. Right. Yeah. And I think anytime you have something that impacts the world, right? Like it can always be corrupted, right? Because if you look at it, just look at businesses, right? Like nobody's really doing anything new, right? Like all the media markets and all that, they're all doing a very similar thing. Um, they put their little spin on it, but they're, they're critical, right? And then people who do it successfully do it with like levels of care and stuff like that. But then there are also people who can offer you a media package that's a complete scam, right? And you don't realize it up front. And I think that people need to realize like, that's the same thing with Christianity. Like while it is a religion and you know, you're, you're building like a salvation standpoint and all of these different things, they're still businesses, right? Like they, they, they do have to make a certain amount of money to fund what they're doing so they can do it. And anytime you include money into the mix, you create these opportunities for snake oil salesmen for get rich quick schemes for whatever. Right. And, you know, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. And there's, there's few people that have as much power and control as some of the, some of the churches that you would see in some of the quote unquote Christian leaders that are, that are put in front of them. Right. So I think, I think it's definitely something, I think if you're depending on the church to be your everything, just like inside of a relationship or anything else, you're going to fail, right? Like you have to make the effort to build that relationship with God. Because like I said, once it's a relationship, then you can walk into a church and go, okay, are these people just, you know, 
Is that their own individual thing that they need to work out? Or is this fundamentally a bad organization, right? Once you can sort through that, then you can be in a healthy place, right? Because there's churches that I've been to in San Antonio that I don't still attend or that were never really my cup of tea, not because they were bad churches or because they're like just spewing this bad hate speech or, or sinful thinking or whatever, right? Like it's none of that. It's just, okay, like they, they don't really resonate with me and what I'm what I'm trying to do and what I feel a relationship with God should be. That doesn't detract from their relationship being a bad relationship. It's just not mine. Just like I may think that doing date night on Thursdays is better than doing it on Tuesdays. Right. And someone may disagree. Like, like, but we get so caught up in those little things. It's the little things that we get so caught up in that actually have zero standing on a relationship with God. To your point, we can, you know, a lot of times people paint other people with a broad brush, right? Like we could sit here and say, you know, well, B- Black Lives Matter is, is, um, you know, they're domestic terrorists and blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of people that are in BLM that, you know, they're good people and they, they believe they're standing up for a good cause and everything else. But there's also some bad actors in there. Just as with Christianity, there's some, there's some churches out there that are doing things that I think give Christians a bad name, right? They're being overly critical. Um, and I, I won't name any names, but <laughs> they're going on, you know, doing demonstrations at people's funerals and stuff like that and, and putting up signs that are just really horrible. And then there's other other churches that are out there promising, you know, wealth and prosperity and everything else, like God's just a vending machine or something. And I think that gives us a bad name as well, right? And I think people think because, you know, they downloaded the version app or they like the daily Bible post that comes up, right? Like that's a relationship with God. And that's really not right. Like that's like, like if, if I was to say like, Hey, if I went up to any fitness person, I said, dude, every time I walk past a dumbbell, I lift it up three times. They go, yeah, you're not going to get strong. Right. Like, like that, that, that's just common sense. Like everything in you would say, okay, that's not going to work. That's not going to build strength. It's not going to build any of that. But for some reason, we try to apply that to Christianity, right? Like, well, I, I, I read my daily Bible verse, or I liked that post that, that Becky or Steve put that said, like, God is love, right? Like, I like that and shared that out. Or I put hashtag Christian on my last post or whatever, right? Like, that's, I'm not, I'm not attracting from, like, I'm not saying those are bad things. I'm not encouraging you not to do that. I'm simply saying, like, if you think that's where it starts and stops, like, that's not a relationship. Like, a relationship is you saying, hey, like, for me, like, I set time in the morning, right? My wife, she goes to a Bible study once a week. Like, we we do these things. We try to set these trends inside of our life to do that. And those are, you know, what's intentional for us, right? Like, for me, like, I like to deep dive study into things, right? So for me, I like to open up books and look and study and then have that conversation with other people after I've studied it, Right. And for her, she likes to study it in a group and kind of talk about it in that group and have that time, right? So I think that everyone's got their own way to do it. It's the people that are actually doing it, right? Like if you're just liking a post or you're just like, I read my my daily scriptures to get me to read the Bible in a whole year. Well, did you really gain anything from reading the Bible in a whole year? Like, you know, like if you just read like any book, right? Like take the top 10 New York bestsellers, right? If you just read them because someone says, they're a New York Times bestseller, you're you're not really reading them for anything. But like if you open the Bible and say, like for me right now, a big theme is I'm reading it to to learn about leadership. Um, because I've I've read so many different leadership books. And the other day someone said to me, Well, dude, how much can you tell me about Bible leadership? And I was like, 
yeah, that's an interesting question. You know what I mean? Like it made me think. So then I started like studying and reading into that and that affected my relationship, right? Because you see the theme. So right now a common theme is servant leadership, right? With everything going on in COVID and all that servant leaders are rising to the top, right? That empathy, that compassion in your groups. If you read through the Bible, a lot of the key leaders that you see as successful, David, Solomon, Peter, Paul, right? Jesus, they, they were all very much servant leaders, right? Like it was a very big basis of what they were doing to the point where some of them, you know, were, were on like death's doorstep and doing it, right? Jesus washing the feet before he goes to the crucifixion. Paul rushing out letters to try to help people before he is killed in Rome, right? John writing letters while he's in exile, right? Like all these different things. You see these leaders portraying a, a perfect example of what servant leadership is, but Christians too often will go to the, the $20 book on the New York Times bestseller as opposed to try to find it inside of somewhere else, but then complain that they don't really have a relationship with God. So it, it strikes me as funny. Right. It's the legalistic side of things. And I find that, you know, the closer you get to God in your relationship, like you've been talking about, the more easily you can see the fruits of the spirit and where the Holy Spirit is moving in other churches. If you're right there alongside of God and you're in tune with his will and so on, then when you go to a church, you can tell whether they're following scripture and, and being true to the spirit and so on, or whether they're just a dead, cold shell of a, a church, right? And all you really need is the Bible. You know, you don't need somebody else's book on the Bible or their interpretation and, and so on. I think you're spot on. Um, having a relationship with God is the most important thing because um, nobody can take that away. And he, he's the only one that won't let you down in the end. Yeah. And you can, you can get it wrong, right? Like you can go in, like if you, if you open the Bible and just say, Hey, like, as long as you're going into it with the right mindset, right? Like now if you're going in there, like, okay, I'm going to look for the verse that's going to make me be able to tell all those Black Lives Matter people that they're worthless, right? Or I'm going to be able to find the verse that tells all the people who are anti-pro-life that they're going to burn in hell, right? Like when you go about it in that mindset, like obviously that's not the right mindset, right? So when you're doing that, you're setting yourself up to fail. But if you're going in with the right mentality, like, hey, like I want to learn, I want to build a relationship. For me personally, I like to start every single time with a prayer and like not a prayer for me, like, you know, this crazy long thing. It's really just me saying like, hey, like I'm about to open this and I have no clue what I need today. So tell me what I need, right? Like, cause, cause I don't know. Show me the money. Show me the money, right? Like, I don't know what that's going to be because it's different, right? And there's times. So again, I'm big on essential oils, natural living, right? So there's a little thing that we, we hold and it'll tell you like what's off in your body, what your imbalance is, right? And sometimes it'll pop forgiveness for me, which is like, you know, um, accepting what other people have done, different things like that. But like, if you were to ask me prior to taking that test, if I thought that, you know, I was having trouble with someone else's something someone had done to me, I'd be like, no, that's not an issue. I'm not, I'm not experiencing that. But after taking that, I'll be like, oh, okay. So then I start reflecting like, well, what could that be? Oh, well, this person at work did this to me or, oh, this person I talked to on this did this, right? Like I start thinking about those things. So it's kind of the same thing with the Bible. Like if you go into the Bible and say, hey, like I, you're going to get shown what you need to get. Like if you ask to see it, you're going to get it, right? It's kind of one of those things. So it's definitely something that um, obviously be aware that you're asking for those kind of things because sometimes, you know, when you say like, oh, I'll get the bad people out of my life. Well, then you find out like the bad person is, you know, the person who was your best friend for 20 years, right? Like that's kind of like a oh moment, you know? So, so be ready for what you're asking for, but, but also don't be afraid to ask because, you know, that's really how you're going to grow and how you're going to build that relationship. Like my wife 
and me have a relationship where she can come to me and ask me for anything or ask me to help her with anything or say anything because that's the relationship we built my son like he knows there's nothing off limits when it comes to being with me right and that's the same kind of relationship that i think god wants to have with all of us but too often we are the barrier to entry for that right and then we blame god for being that barrier right like god didn't give me that opportunity or god didn't put this in front of me or god didn't give me what i asked for well like but what is your relationship with him like do, do you understand that maybe he didn't give it to you because he's got something else for you? Like, do you understand that he's always there trying to help you not harm you? Right. Like that he has plans for you. Right. Like what is, what is your understanding of it to then be able to deal with that? Because bad things happen and we want to blame God. Right. And I got so mad when this whole thing first started and I'm not against like the prophetic or all of that, but everyone's immediate response was like, Oh, you know, like the, the little joking memes were like, if God's coming, I'm good. Let him come. Right. And I was like, Oh, like that's kind of a crappy statement to make. Right. Because, um, you know, like the, the whole theme of the Bible is until it all ends, you keep going, trying to help as many people as you can. Right. And so I got kind of upset when I first started seeing that as COVID first kind of took off and people kind of got downhearted and stuff. But then like you see places like hold the line in California and throughout the world, where they're basically like standing up and doing these things and holding services and protests and things like that. And you see like revival happening throughout the country. So for me, I'm kind of like, you know, like that's the difference between liking the post on Facebook and having the relationship, right? Liking the post will say, I'm good, whatever happens, right? Having that relationship will say, yeah, I'm good, but this is getting bad. So I need to get as many people as I can, right? Like, like that's what the difference in the two mentalities are. And I think you know, COVID has been the great equalizer. It shows us who's a good person, who isn't a good person in the sense that, you know, our dependency on people has increased, right? Our dependency on each other has increased, whether it's the Christian community, the non-Christian community, you know, like when there was no food in San Antonio, churches were opening up their doors to let, whether you were a Christian or not, come get food, right? Like, that says something. And to a person who isn't a Christian, that very well could be the thing that gets them into a church. You don't know, right? But but if you don't have that relationship, your mentality would be, I need to save as much as I can for me. It'll be interesting to see what um, the future brings for us, um, especially, you know, for God in our lives and the, the how the pandemic stuff plays out and so forth. Um, I think we're in for some uh, interesting times in the next year or year to four years, right? It's, it's definitely one of the most important elections. Like people, people have definitely got that part right. <laughs> yeah, it's been really great talking to you. Um, we're just about out of time. Um, so thanks for being on the show and thanks for sharing a bit about yourself and your life and uh, your wisdom for our, our listeners. I appreciate it. I hope it's helped somebody. And for all of them, feel free to connect with me, you know, wherever on LinkedIn, on Instagram, wherever I'm gladly up for any com conversation, obviously. <laughs> In your podcast. And on Real Talk with Roman, it drops every Wednesday, new episodes, and you can find the Instagram page, Real Talk with Roman. Um, swing by and, you know, just check out those great episodes from Christians to athletes to um, authors, to, we, we have them all, veterans, starting businesses, people who have been through you know, sexual trauma, like nothing's off limits in real talk. So we just, we just have real conversations. It's real. It's real. Awesome. All right, brother, make it easy. All right, man, I appreciate it. Thanks for, thanks for doing this. You've been listening to the America for God podcast. Please consider donating by visiting our website, www.americaforgod.com. 
Don't forget to like us on free speech platforms Parler, Gab, Kodias, Miwi, Magabook, and Minds. We are also on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. You can find the show on Anchor, BitChute, Rumble, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and by visiting our website, www.americaforgod.com. Also, spread the word among your family and friends. As Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Have a blessed and peaceful day.